0: Well, it's so good to see people. Yes. Karen and I were at the mall and thought, wow, it was amazing. There was people all over the place. At Costco, they even didn't have a, well, I guess they've always had the lineups, but they were sort of freewheeling in there, and it was quite a lot of people in there. And it's a funny thing, you know, we can't appreciate what we have until we lose it. Amen. And that's a really sad thing about us as human beings, you know, with our health or something like that, we can't appreciate it until we lose it. And somebody like me who's a free spirit, these restrictions drive me crazy. And I have to just continually be just put myself in line. Karen keeps going, honey. Come on, honey. But it's uh, uh, just, it really does drive me crazy. But it's a good thing. You know, like uh, one of our brothers prayed this morning uh, when we were praying. He said, uh, he was praying, and he says, you know, like Joseph, when Joseph left his, left his home and was taken captive, it seemed bad, and it was terrible, and it was, and it broke him away from his home, but God brought him up to be the leader in Egypt, and it became some, it was something that was such a blessing to the people of God, and it was good, but it was different, and we have to really see the good in what God does, because God is good, and God is in control. And when things happen, God moves. And uh, there's a lot of good things that are coming through this kind of a thing. The way that we've been broadcasting, you know, to so many people uh, is a great thing. Reaching people and people that are tuning in that don't normally or haven't been able to tune in. People that have gone to the church over the years, they're tuning in because they love Livingstones Church. And there's just so many good things. The small groups and stuff, how we're connecting that way. And we need to really just, you know, really focus on the good that God is doing and the good that's happening because of it all, uh, because there's lots of it. And uh, another thing about this COVID thing, we're not allowed to sing. Well, I have a hard time clapping and singing at the same time, so this way I can clap at least. (laughs) I got like two left feet. When we were young, Karen and I met. She was quite a dancer, and she loved dancing, and she could really dance. And I had two left feet. I could really not dance. And the poor girl, you know, she basically, praise God, we got saved, and we got moving in the direction of the church. But uh, that was a sacrifice she had to make for Mary and me. She couldn't (laughs) dance like she danced before she met me. Well, this morning, I want to encourage you to... uh, Take your Bibles if you have them. Hopefully you brought Bibles because we don't have them in the pews this morning. And we're going to be turning to chapter 14 of Luke. What we're going to be doing is we're going to skim across a few of the parables from chapter 14 to 16, 19, where we're going to sort of focus in on the parable of the rich man and Lazarus and, uh, and that story. So I would say that for the most part, all of us desire to have the best life that God has in mind for each one of us to live. You know, if we don't have that, I think that we need to maybe come for prayer afterwards because we should want the best of what God has in mind for each one of us. But in order to, for us to do this, we need to have the same desires that God has. The scriptures say that uh, the biggest, one of the biggest desires I believe that God has on his heart is for people. And the scriptures say that the Son of Man come to seek and save the lost. And the founders here at Livingstone's Church, led by Pastor Paul, they prayed as the church was beginning for a purpose statement or a vision statement for Livingstone's Church. And I think that the vision statement or pur- purpose statement that we have in our church on our website and on our bulletins, you know, it says it all. And I really think that it's captured the heart of God. And it says passion for God and compassion for people. And this is god 's heart. His heart is that we have a passion for Him and that we have a compassion for people. And to desire the things that God desires, we have to walk with Him and have a genuine relationship with Him that's real and that it's meaningful. And we know the th- you know, we know all of these things, and yet often we get sidetracked with things and thoughts that are not what God had in mind for us and, uh, many times these kinds of things cause us much sorrow and grief. And praise Him for His grace and mercy that He shows towards us. Uh, a number of years ago, I was working down on task when we were prepping this big warehouse for a concrete floor. And uh, one, on, one of the guys on the way to work, he stopped, and he fueled up, and he got fuel for the job site and stuff. And and uh, he filled up, and he got three free scratch-and-win lottery tickets. And he was, when we were all standing around getting ready to go to work, he's, he's standing there, and he says, he's got these three tickets. And so he scratches them off, and then he says, oh, I forgot my glasses. And he hands them to the guy beside him. He says, take a look at these. Is there anything on them? And the guy looks them over. He goes, no, there's nothing on them. So he, he hands them back, and the guy throws them into the bobcat bucket. And then we all go off to work. And then the bobcat come in spread the gravel around, and as I'm raking, here these three tickets are on the ground. And so I bend over, and I pick up these tickets. Everybody's working away. Nobody's paying attention to what I'm doing. I pick up these tickets, and I look at them, and I'd not really, I think they were fairly new at the time, but I didn't know how they worked, and so I was looking at these tickets, and on one ticket, I saw three $10,000 numbers on it, and I thought, really? And I looked at the back of it, and and sure enough, it said that, If you had the three matching numbers is what the ticket was valued at. So I had in my hand a $10,000 lottery ticket. And then I was standing there and I was thinking, wow, you know, like a $10,000 lottery ticket. This is pretty exciting. But then I thought, but that's not my ticket. And I thought, oh, is it his ticket? He threw it away. You know, and it's, it's in the ground. It would have been buried in the cement. I was tempted to put this ticket in my pocket. And at the same time, I was feeling like that wouldn't be the right thing to do. And so I went over and I... Gave him the ticket. Said, hey, I think you've won something here. And <clears throat> giving him that ticket, <clears throat> I had never thought, you know, for quite a while, I had never thought so much about what I could have done with $10,000. You know, you think of all these things that could happen with it. But, you know, apparently one place that many people look when times are tough is to the lotteries. And millions of dollars are spent in the hope that we can hit it big and end our financial concerns. And while we may grasp at many solutions in our tough times, we have to always remember the richness of the inheritance of our God and what he's given us as his people. Psalm 121, 2 says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. We have a supernatural assurance that God cares about us. We just know that we know that God cares. We are the apple of his eye, the word says. God loves us. He loves his people. And only God can give us the real security that we all need in living through this life. Now, I'm sure we've all imagined what we would do if we wanted. to Million bucks. One day I was driving down to Calgary and I'd heard that the lottery was at 40 million dollars. And as I'm driving and thinking, what would I do with 40 million bucks? I got thinking about the interest on 40 million dollars and I thought I could give, like, if I had 40 million dollars, I could give all my siblings, all my kids, Karen's parents, my parents, her siblings, $250,000 a year. For the rest of their lives just on the interest alone you know and it's funny how we think and look at money as if it can solve some you know many of our problems in life in proverbs 20 21 it says an estate quickly acquired in the beginning will not be blessed in the end and so we have to guard our hearts when it comes to how much importance we put on the almighty dollar Scripture also says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money is the root of all kinds of evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Author Paul Valley says in his book, Revelation Revealed, human greed, ambition, and power have caused abuse, enslavement, poverty, famine, strife, and ultimately hell to rage across our planet. And it's so true human greed and I can't imagine how this must grieve our heavenly father when he sees innocent people suffer day in and day out in this world Philippians 4 11, the apostle Paul is writing to encourage the Philippian church he says where I have learned how to be content in whatever I have it's a learned skill to be content in whatever we have Knowing the Father cares about us and learning his promises gives us the strength and the patience to be able to wait on God and knowing that he loves us and he cares, that he's going to hear our cry and he's going to instruct us on how we can live this life like he says, if you lack wisdom to ask it, he gives it liberally. And so we know that he cares and if we learn his promises, that helps us to learn how to be content in this lifetime. We can't allow the lie that riches would be the answer to all of our problems because that's all it is. It's a lie. The apostle Paul is the one we're talking about here and you know there were seasons in his life when he had nothing. Not a morsel of food, no money in his pockets. Times when he was extremely hungry. And did this mean that faith in God wasn't working? Absolutely not. No sooner or no sooner we uh, learn kingdom living, the sooner we live, learn that kingdom living is opposed to worldly uh, living, the sooner we're really going to be getting to know God. Like the Apostle Paul, we too can learn to be content in whatever our circumstances are. Our natural man learns... I and mean, learns to value the wealth and the possessions, but our spirit man, which is or led by the Holy Spirit, is living to obey the Word of God. So, in our Bibles, we're looking at, we're going to be looking through a few of these parables. And the first parable we're looking at is in chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. And it's talking about, uh, it's not the parable, but it's the cost of discipleship with Jesus. The previous parable was about a banquet, and God has called the children of Israel. It's what the story is about, but he's got a banquet he's invited people to, and they had been invited, and he prepared his banquet, and when his banquet was prepared, basically the Messiah come, and he says, come to the banquet. But they, uh, without exception, they all gave excuses of why they couldn't make this banquet. And to me, it shows, you know, the broadness, because then he sent them out to the highways and byways to call the people to the banquet. And his broadness in his call to people was this wide open, and he's inviting everybody to this banquet. It says that great crowds in this uh, cost of, of, of following Jesus, to being a disciple of Jesus, there is a cost. Like Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, that salvation is free, but to be a disciple of Christ costs your life. Great crowds were following Jesus their relationship with God had to be the highest priority of all relationships. All other relationships had to be as hatred in comparison to the relationship that Jesus was saying that they had. Jesus says that there's whoever bears, does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. There's a cross that each one of us have to bear. We each have a cross with our name on it. And how do you, how are you, if you are bearing your cross, how do you feel about the cross that you're bearing in life? Jesus goes on and he speaks about a building project that we count the cost before we're building so that we know whether we're going to be able to complete this project before we start. He talks about a king that goes to war and he says, will he not count the cost and see if he can win this war? And if he can't, maybe he needs to send out and try to have a little dialogue going so that maybe he won't be defeated in battle if he has any wisdom. And at the end of these texts, in verse 33, Jesus says, Therefore, every one of you who does not say goodbye to all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now, this doesn't mean that we go and we just get rid of everything we own. In Bentley, a young lady just become a christian and she was had an unteachable spirit she just would not listen and and but she took and she gave her life to christ and then she turned and she sold everything she had like basically she gave it all away and it left her in debt and it caused grief in her life the pressures got to her she ended up getting to the drugs and like she just went you know in a terrible direction I don't know where she's at today. I hope that she's serving God and learned you know, through the experience because God, by his grace, will teach us and allow us to go through those things. And as we look to him, he shows us the error of our ways. But you know, it doesn't mean that Jesus is saying that we can't own anything. He's just saying the stuff that you have, be willing to allow me to use that stuff for the furtherance of my kingdom. To not have possessions and material goods and just wrap them up and they're just for you and you alone. Coming to God means letting go of the false things our natural mind says solves our problems and grabbing on to the things that God says will solve our problems. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it said, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. The tax collectors and sinners were coming in search of the truth. And Jesus is all about anybody that is searching for truth. Verse 2 says, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. It is not God's will that any perish, but that all come to repentance. And in these next few parables we look at here, you know, we can see that there's different emphasis on these parables. We see different sermons in each one of these parables. But what I want us to see in these parables is God's hand reaching out and Care for the lost one or the weak ones or, you know, uh, just for people in general. So chapter 15, verse 4 through 7, it says, What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it he, is joyf- it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And then Jesus goes on to say, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 people who do not need repentance. It's about the people. In verses eighteen through 8 through 10, it's about the, the woman and the lost coin. Or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I had lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. In the parable of the lost son, chapter 15 starts at verse 11. It's about uh, um, a man who has two sons. And the one, the younger son, fully aware of what he's doing. He asks his father, give me the share of my estate that I have coming to me. He gets the share of his estate. His father willingly, he knows that his son is bent on destruction basically, but bent on doing his own thing, going his own way. So he gives him what he asks for. And he goes out and he loses everything that he has. And eventually realizing that he had ruined his life, squandering everything that he had away. He was down and out. He was in a place of destitute. And he realized, I'm better off to be a servant or a slave in my father's home than to be in this squalor that I'm finding myself in. And he heads home. And as he heads home, he doesn't have a dad with a bat or a dad saying, you deserve it, son. You know, look what you did. I told you you shouldn't be going to do those things. But he, instead, his father's standing. You can see the picture of it that he's standing. and He's looking over to see if his son was coming home. He had, you know, like, a, like parents do. And like I have, you know, like you look out and you're just waiting for your kids. He sees his son coming and, and he runs to his son and he wraps his arms around him. He loves him. This is the compassion that the father has reaching out to us. He's not come to condemn us. He's come to save us. And the son repentantly says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father wraps him in a purple robe, in, his, in the best robe and he puts a ring on his finger, and he reestablishes him as the son of his house. And that's what the Father wants for each one of us. Jesus is showing these religious leaders at the time that God is all about the people. He cares for people. And these religious leaders were captivated by a lot of things, and, and, uh, and Jesus was really just sort of pointing this out to them. And then we have the parable of the dishonest manager. And in the parable of the dishonest manager... The emphasis is that the kingdom living involves managing worldly goods for the good of heaven's purposes. And Jesus is saying it matters what we do with what we have here and now in this lifetime. The disciples dismissed this parable as not being applicable to them. They had no worldly resources, so the message of the parable didn't apply to them. But Jesus disagreed, no matter how few resources you have, we need to be trustworthy with them, he said. And look out for the other side of this truth. You may think that it doesn't make any difference how we handle the little that we might have. And you can cheat and mislead and you can squander the the resources that we have and it doesn't matter. But again, Jesus emphasizes the habit The habit you form now stays with you. That's quite a thought. The habit that you form now in your squandering of the resources that God's given you for whatever it is, in your time, in your finances, in your relationships, we squander that. He says, the habit that you form now stays with you. Jesus said, so if you have not been faithful with the unrighteous money, who will trust you with what is genuine? It matters what we do with what we've been given in this lifetime from an eternal perspective. And this is good for us to just think, okay, you know, why does this life even matter? But it does matter. The Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to what Jesus was saying here, and then they were scoffing at him. And this is when we come to the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and it's here that we get a real impact of this incredibly powerful, strong warning that that Jesus is giving to these lovers of money who were scoffing at him. And so in verse 19, we're going to read this, verse 19 through 31. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted. And Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is great, a great chasm that's separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. The rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send someone to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want them to be warned so that they don't have to end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote." The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. And that's a pretty incredible thought. That if we had people rise from the dead and tell people to repent, if they're not persuaded by our scriptures that we all have to us, they would not repent. And so the question that I had as I was reading through this parable here of the rich man and Lazarus, and Lazarus at the rich man's gate, who is my Lazarus? Is he my neighbor, a friend, a coworker, our kids, our parents, maybe an uncle, our grandparents? You know, we're a very rich people. We have the truth we have a peace offered to us that can't be explained. We have the supernatural assurance that our souls are going to be in heaven when we leave this planet. We have a living hope that this world is not our home, but we have a better home to go to. And we know good is in store for us if we persevere through this lifetime. We're so rich. We're a blessed people. We have a lot let alone living in North America in a material way, spiritually on top of that. We are a blessed people. And I think it's heavy, uh, healthy for us to reevaluate our lives before God on an ongoing basis, asking ourselves, am I about my father's business? So we see in this story, we see that a rich man who's dressed in purple, fine linen, Lived luxuriously every day. They say this fine livin, linen is his underwear. That he has so, he's so filthy rich that even his underwear is the top of the line. And it's talking about the top 1% of the world. Like if you do the word studies and all that kind of stuff. This guy was so rich he was in the top 1% of the world. And Lazarus, the poor man, covered with sores who was laid at the rich man's gate every day. Sores representing bed sores. inability to move. And every time the rich man came and went, Lazarus was at his gate. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and he was buried. And there, being in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham a long way off and Lazarus with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy. Notice the rich man is still giving orders. And still sees Lazarus as someone to serve him. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony because of these flames. And I can remember as a young Christian, Karen and I were going to a movie and I was standing in line. And I was just a young Christian because I was still smoking. So it was in the first year, year and a half. And I was standing in line and I was going to light up a cigarette. And at the time I had been reading Revelation and talking about the lake of fire that was created for Satan and his angels and uh, that burned with sulfur and rims- brimstone. And so I went to light this cigarette and if that didn't, that sulfur from that match had come off the stick and onto my finger and it wouldn't leave and it just kept on burning. And did that ever hurt? I remember shaking and banging my finger and thinking, you know, that, that thing just isn't stopping burning. Like it's not going away. Like normally you can knock it off and, or, you know, like, Pull your hand from the flame. But this thing kept burning. And I have a scar on my finger to, to show it. But that hurt. That hurt so bad. And I remember as I sat in the theater, I had sat there watching this movie with my finger in my pop. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way to get rid of that pain or at least get some from the pain. And as I'm sitting there with my finger and my pop, and it still hurts but just not near as bad. But I'm sitting there I'm thinking, wow hell is gonna be an awful place. It just was such a epiphany to me that I can still feel that, that hurts so much. You know, and so then we look at this parable and we think how are we to understand this parable? You know, like it's it's basically, if you read this thing at face value, it's like it's saying, live life well and in hell. (laughs) (laughs) Suffer pain and have great gain, you know? it can't be that black and white and obviously it's not we see the scripture you know in the old testament through the old testament we see that people prospered abraham and job and joseph and solomon we see that god's people there were a lot of prosperity things going on and so like we know that it's not about the money it's not about whether you're rich or you're poor The point here is that God cares about people and he's using this story to help us to see how important it is to pay attention to those that God is putting in our paths and putting around us. And as a pastor, I've been with a lot of people who have passed from this life into the next. And you know the thing that I've discovered that we die as we've lived. And this shows me that we cannot come to God on our own terms or when we think we will in our own time. We have got to come when God is calling, and God is calling right now. The rich man remembered his five brothers. He wanted them to be spared of the torment that he was experiencing. He remembered the life he lived and the family members that he had. But Abraham said, they have Moses the prophets, Moses and the prophets. They should be listening, listen to them. Let them listen to the Psalms and prophets, the ones I have already sent to warn them. They had the Bible. They had the Pentateuch. They had the first five. They had the law of Moses. They had the Psalms. This is what's in our scriptures. We have a Bible today that is warning us. We have our Bibles and in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. It says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. The rich man goes on to say, no, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. And we have a real good example of that here in our scriptures. This is Jesus and Lazarus. This Lazarus is a different Lazarus. And it says that John chapter 12 verse 9 and 10 and 11 says they came not only because, Jesus, because of Jesus but also to see Lazarus the one that he raised from the dead. Remember Lazarus was in the tomb and he had been dead for four days and Jesus said to remove the tomb and he commanded him come forth and he come out of the tomb raised from the dead. It says, therefore, the chief priest decided to kill Lazarus also because he was the reason so many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. Wow. They wanted to kill Lazarus because he was Jewish. People were believing in Jesus because of his testimony of being raised from the dead. That's a hard heart. And I pray, Lord, help us to never have such hard hearts. Abraham said to the rich man, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. So who is your Lazarus? Are we walking by them day after day and paying no attention to them, giving no thought to their eternal well-being? We need to stop and ask ourselves these questions. And this has been an incredibly convicting sermon to have to do. It's amazing, you know, like, this is not easy. Because as you're working on these messages, it's like, wow, it just burns. And, you know, I've been asking myself, who's my Lazarus? And since I started working on this, you know, I've had to ask myself, you know, what am I doing to reach out to my neighbors? Am I doing anything to reach out to my neighbors? Because there are people we see all the time, and there are people that we could easily have a relationship with at least saying, hi, how you doing, and what's your life about? do i care about their eternal destination and can i do something about that two and a half years ago we brought our neighbors to the christmas banquet here at the church and for two and a half years karen and i've been saying we've got to have them over for supper we're going to have our neighbors over for dinner we've got to have them over for supper this has gone on for two and a half years and I remember Pastor Paul sharing a sermon series on uh, Sermon on the Mount, and one line that just jumped off and just slapped me right in the face was The highway to hell is paved with good intentions. And we had good intentions of having our neighbors over, but we never got around to it. Two and a half years went by, and we hadn't yet done it. And preparing this message, I thought, I'm going to do it. And so, uh, we phoned up another couple from the church that we thought, you know, they would be a good click personality-wise with these two, and uh, we had them over for supper, and we had a great evening. And then the next couple of days, I went over and I helped the neighbor work on his driveway because his driveway was falling apart. And it's like, and then just about two days ago, we were outside Karen and I, and he says, "Hi, Mrs. Karen." <laughs> you know, it's like we got relationship with them. We had it before, but this dinner seemed to really click. And, uh, and build something strong with them. We have to do the things that we know that we need to do before the Lord. We cannot continue to slumber them away. And I'm preaching to this guy every bit as much as I'm spewing these words out that way. So who is the Lazarus in your life? We cannot be like the rich man and use everything that we have in a material way, in relationship ways, in our own time. We can't be like the rich man and just have that all to ourselves and not let anybody into that circle. Our arms, you know, like Jesus says, you know, unless you release all your possessions, you cannot be a disciple of mine. All that we have, you know, we can hold it like this and just sort of let it go. If it needs to go, let it go. Let God use it. If God is in control and if God is sovereign, then we need to say amen. And let God, he'll pour in if we'll let loose. And uh, as we leave these doors, like just outside of these doors, there's 100,000 people in our city. 90% approximately of those people are walking toward this lake of fire. And do we care? Jesus says, just as he's ascending, or just before he ascends, he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you to the end of the age. Are we making disciples? That's what we are commanded to do as the people of God. Who is your Lazarus this morning? We all have them. We're walking by them every day. The people that we see day in, day out, day in and day out. We have eternal life. We have hope. We have assurance. We've got all the good things that God promises we have. Are we sharing that? Are we giving that out? Are we afraid, you know, how they're going to react? We need to say, Lord, like the apostles, John and Peter I believe it was they were beaten they were whipped and then they went and they met with the uh, the other disciples and they shared everything that had gone on and then they prayed together and pray they prayer they prayed they prayed God give us boldness to keep sharing your word and that's what we need is just boldness just to share your testimony you feel like okay I'm, I'm not apologetic. I can't I don't know how to argue these arguments forget the arguments just tell them what Jesus has done in your life says, we've overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Who can argue with what Jesus is doing in your life? And so I just want to leave you with that. Who is the Lazarus in your life? And so I just ask that you stand with me and we'll just close the service in prayer. And as you leave these doors, as you walk through those doors, I pray, Jesus, that there would be just a supernatural Lord anointing or uh, conviction or encouragement, Lord God, whatever it is that your people need as we walk out these doors into this community of 100,000 people and then all of them about, around about this community, Lord, that need you, that are struggling and are wrestling and that feel hopeless. And especially in a time when this COVID thing is spread over the world, Father God, we have hope. As we persevere, Lord God, the end is good. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to share that with others. That we would give, Lord, of our time. That we would give, Lord God, of our family time. That we would give, Father God, of everything that you have blessed us with. That our hands and our arms would be open. And we would receive and we would give freely. Bless your people, I pray, Father God. I pray that there's no condemnation. Because your word says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and uh, called according to your purposes, Lord. And so I just pray blessing and I pray conviction. I pray peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go.